Morning, City Church. You lovely, shiny people, you. So this morning, we're talking about big people. Big people facing up to their fears. We've been doing a bit of a series. They're on the website. If you haven't had a chance to listen to them, go there, download them, listen to them. There is some truly inspirational stuff there. A burglar breaks into a house. He's got his little goggles on. He's got his little knitted hat, swag bag over his shoulder, stripy shirt on. Climbs in. He's looking around and he's ransacking the joint, putting all these priceless antiques into his swag bag. It's the dead of night, pitch black. All of a sudden, he hears this little voice. Don't do it. Jesus is watching you. Nearly has a heart attack. Shines his torch around the room, can't see anybody. But the torch beam comes to rest on a cage in the corner of the room. And inside, there's a parrot. So he walks over to the parrot, and he says, Did you just say that? And the parrot says, Yes, I did. Jesus is watching. Don't do it. (laughs) Says the burglar. What's your name? And the parrot says, Moses. You are joking, says the burglar. What sort of idiot calls his parrot Moses? And the parrot says, The same idiots that call their Rottweilers Jesus. (laughs) He had every reason in that moment to be afraid. And having grown up with Rottweilers, I can tell you they can be pretty scary. They break wind a lot as well which is also scary. (laughs) So this morning we're talking about fears, and I've split those fears very crudely into two camps, rational fears and irrational ones. So let me just open that up a bit. A rational fear, for instance, I might see a toddler wander outside a gate by a busy road. I would naturally be fearful, a completely rational fear, okay? But then there's the irrational fears that go something like, hey, I don't, hope I don't get killed in a nuclear airstrike this morning. Okay? So we're just differentiating there. And this morning I want to focus a little bit on those irrational fears, those insecurities, those anxieties, if you like, that somehow plague us. I wonder if I was to ask you this morning and say, what is your list of fears. I wonder what sort of answers I might get. Don't answer out loud, okay? Maybe you're worried about a a new day at school, a day that's coming. Maybe you're worried about having no friends. Maybe you're worried about failing in your job. I think that's probably quite a big one for blokes, you know, fear of failure. It's a horrible motivator. Maybe you're worried about making a costly mistake. Or forgetting something important. Maybe you're worried about possibly dying of a terminal disease. Or dying alone. Maybe you're fearful or worried about not finding the right marriage partner. Oh Lord, am I going to be single all my life? Maybe your fear of addiction. How will I ever beat this? Fear of losing family members. Fear of children going off the rails. Fear of children messing up in their exams and not making the grade for university. 
Looking at you, Tom Jelfs. I'm joking. Fear of a terrorist attack. Fear of nuclear war. Fear of Brexit. Fear of not having children. Well, I've faced that one. Well, you've faced that one. Maybe it's fear of public speaking. You know, as I was trying to put this list together, I could feel some of these fears coming down on me and thinking, do you know what? I'm not having this. But do you know what? Fear is putting our faith in the enemy's lies. It's putting our faith in the lies of the God, small g, of this world. And fear chooses, fear is us choosing to ignore what God says about us and believing those what-if lies from the enemy. Now, let's just be really clear here. You can't stop those thoughts every now and again coming into your head. I think it was Martin Luther King who said, you can't stop birds flying over your head, but you can stop them nesting in your hair. And it's very true. You can't, in a sense, stop those thoughts from time to time. But you do have a choice of what you do with them. The more we internalize some of those fears, those things that go round on a loop inside our head, if we're not careful, they, become, they gain power. They almost, in a sense, become prophetic. I was, in preparing for this, I was just looking in the book of Job. You might want to turn there with me. I'm reading from Job chapter 1. Let me just give you a little bit of background about this guy. He's a wealthy fella. He's got a big family. He has lots of possessions. In a sense, he's minted. He's on velvet. He has seven sons and three daughters, we're told in verse 2, who were born to him. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest, the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons would go and feast in their, in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. They like to party. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. In moderation. But you get a snapshot into the life of Job. And the book of Job is an incredible glimpse into the supernatural world of unseen principalities and powers that we, in a sense, have no access to. It says, in verse 5 I'm reading here, book of Job, chapter 1. Job would send and sanctify for each of his children. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed, cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did regularly. Now I want to put it to you. I think Job, as great a man as he was, had some fears that he was playing on. You might think I'm stretching a, a point here. But as I've read this, I found myself thinking, is this a man who is motivated, motivated by a love of God, or is he motivated by fear for what might happen to his children? Okay? So this is Job offering sacrifices for his children. You think, well, you might be stretching a point there. Maybe I am. But we know the story of Job. We know how later on in this book, he gets tested. 
He gets tested really significantly. There came a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. And basically, Satan responds. He says, yeah, but that's easy for you to say. He's got it made. He's on velvet. Nice house, nice family, lots of money. It's good for him. And God allows Satan to test Job. You can read the story. In one fell swoop, he loses his whole family. He loses his health. He loses his possessions. He loses the majority of his friends. And life is really hard for him. For him. And then you get this little glimpse. In chapter 3, verse 25. This is Job speaking after all these calamities have come upon him. He says this. For the thing I greatly feared. The thing I greatly feared has come upon me. And what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no no rest, for trouble has come. And I want to suggest to you that for Job, he'd got some of these fears and insecurities playing around in his mind in a loop, going over and over and over them, and somehow they start to gain a power of their own. And I do wonder sometimes that if we let fears and insecurities and anxieties plague us, and notice I said, if we let, I wonder, I just wonder, I'm not presenting this as, 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 as um, infallibly proved, but I do wonder if spiritually it gives the enemy an opportunity to have a negative, destructive impact in our life. Those fears becoming realized. So what do we do when we're overwhelmed or we're consumed by fear? Three points, real simple. The first one, God says, fear not. Do not fear. Who can forget the story in 2 Kings 6 verse 16? Elisha and his servant, they're surrounded by an army, huge army. They're completely outnumbered. And the servant wakes in the morning and he sees this huge expanse. Armed soldiers, chariots, charioteers, armed to the teeth. And his knees are knocking together and he says to Elisha, what shall we do? And Elisha says, fear not. Those who are with us are more than those that are against us. And he prays for his servant and he prays, Lord, would you open his eyes and see. See something of heaven's resource. And this is exactly what happens. So fear not. Who can forget the story? Luke 8, verse 50. I'm going to quickly turn there. The story of Jairus. Jairus, leader of the synagogue. He's one of the religious intelligentsia. Might help if I've got the right book.
Jairus, the, the leader of the synagogue, fearful for the life of his daughter, this beautiful little girl. And he has to take a, a, eat a huge slice of humble pie, as it were, lower himself and find Jesus, this Jew, this carpenter, and say, would you help me? My daughter, my only daughter, the child of my dreams, the one that I love, she is dying. In one sense, he's got very justified fears here. And Jesus agrees to go with him. I can't help but put myself in Jairus' position. Because as they're making their way to Jairus' house, you remember the story how this woman with a gynecological issue, this constant bleeding, sees Jesus and thinks, if I can only, only touch the hem of this man's garment, I'll be made whole. And Jesus realizes that when she's touched him, as the crowd pressing around him, he realizes that power has gone out from him. And he says, who touched me? You know the story? All the disciples say, well, there's loads of us here. What you want about? If I was Jairus at that point, I would be doing my nut. I know you're important. I know you've got fears, but mine are bigger. Yeah, yes, it's important, but come with me, Jesus. And Jesus stops. He says, no, no, power has gone out of me. And when they look around and they see the woman, Jesus says, bless you, daughter, for your faith has made you whole. Fear not. And then he goes with Jairus. And we're told in that passage that the mourners have already assembled because the little girl has died. Now, what that tells me is that they already knew that Jairus was on his way to see Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. And in that moment, Jairus' worst fears are, are becoming whole. And he looks at him and he says, fear not. It's both a promise and it's a command. Fear not. And we know the rest of the story. Jesus puts out the mourners, even though he gets ridiculed and doesn't look too good in the process. And then he raises to life this little girl and presents her back to her parents. So fear not. Remember the woman at Jesus' tomb? What's the first thing the angels say to, say to them? Fear not. I mean, they must have been a cataclysmic mix of emotions, having seen Jesus, the so-called promised Messiah, the one who was going to bring restitution to the, the nation of Israel. They saw him hang and die the worst death, the most shameful death, the death of a thief on a Roman gibbet, a Roman cross. And the first thing they say is, fear not. And in a sense, gang, that's what God says to you this morning, fear not. Remember Gideon in the Old Testament, hiding, scared of the um, invading Amalekites, hiding, threshing out corn, doing it in secret so that the invaders wouldn't take their food. And the first thing that God says to him is, fear not. But he says, how can that be? I'm just a nobody. I'm the weakest in my clan. My clan is the smallest of the, the clans in Israel. How can that be? And God, when he speaks, fear not. He speaks not to what you are, but what he sees you becoming. So fear not. The Bible says, fear not, I, I couldn't even get to the end of this list, literally hundreds 
of times. Isaiah 35, 4, John 14, 27, Joshua 1, 9, Matthew 6, 34, Isaiah 43, 1, Psalm 23, 4, Psalm 34, 4, Psalm 94, 19, 27, 1, Psalm 94, 19, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. That is the glorious exchange that when we present our fears and anxieties before God, he makes a joyful exchange. And I tell you it's true because of my experience, and I'll come to that in a moment. So fear not. You know, it's impossible to trust God and to be afraid, to be truly afraid at the same time. You can't do both. The two don't go together. They're so diametrically opposed. Either... Either we know that God is in ultimate control. Forget the circumstances, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. Either we know that God is in ultimate control, regardless of circumstance, or we believe he isn't. In other words, we put our faith in the hope of, and lies of the, de- of the devil. That's how it works. You might think that's a bit black and white, but my experience tells me that is true. For the Lord thy God will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Isaiah 41, 13. So God says, fear not. My second point is this. Romans 12, well-known passage. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yet on the Alpha course, they have this great phrase, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. A bit like jelly. Everybody's mixed jelly. You have, you know, little shapes of bunnies and gnomes and all the other stuff and you pour your gloopy mix in and out pops this lovely moulded jelly if you've done it right. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. And let's face it, this world is full of bad stuff. Doom and gloom. You only have to turn on your telly. I mean, just the stuff with Brexit. I mean, the whole thing, so often, regardless of which side of the fence you're on, it's so motivated by fear. Are, are our borders going to be secure? Are we going to have enough medical supplies? Are we going to have to stockpile this, that, and the other? And the whole thing, it would seem to me, is motivated by fear. Will we get the best deal? Don't get me wrong, they're good questions. But it does concern me sometimes, the heart behind it. And if we just keep internalizing those fears over and over again, they they gain a power of their own. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Fill your thinking with what God says about you. For I know the thoughts I have about you, says God, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Plans to give you a future and a hope to bless you. Demonstrating, of course, that the God that we have is a benevolent God. Long-suffering. Psalm 139, verse 16, 17. We've already alluded to it this morning. Your eyes saw my substance, Lord, being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of your thoughts, O Lord. Because God's plan for us, and we tell people this on the turning, God's plan for us is the best. You can't improve on God's plan. Trust me, I've tried. We're royalty. 
We're special people, set apart for him. 1 Peter 2, 9. We're chosen, we're accepted, adopted, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We're his workmanship, Ephesians 2, 10. Full of divine power, 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Full of divine knowledge. So God has the best plans for you. God will not forsake you. God will not leave you, ever. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. God will not leave you. I don't care what besetting sin you've got yourself into. I don't care what horrible crime... Well, I do. Horrible things that you've committed. Jesus never leaves your side. Just think about that next time you're tempted. He just doesn't leave your side. Jesus is watching. (laughs) Got to get that one in, gang. All in the script. (sighs) And ultimately, we will spend eternity with him. Yeah, I know circumstances can be hard. But know this, that in our Father's house, there are many mansions. And if it were not so, Jesus would would have told you. I go, says Jesus, to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. John 14, 2, 3. We will spend eternity with him. And my third point, and this is a little bit of my story. Get a sozo. Sometimes we need help processing this stuff. A lot of giggling going on out there in the uh, Cheryl corner of the room. But it's so true. For those of you that don't know what a sozo is, basically it's a Christian counselling session, if I can use that language. But it's led by the Holy Spirit. So rather than just being man's good interpretations, it's actually we're hearing from, from the ultimate authority. So something of my story. When... The speaking rotor was put together, and I saw my name, Graham. That's not my name. Graham put the list together. Let me just clarify that. And I saw the topic, big people face up to their fears. I, I'm really, I'll be really honest. My heart sank to my toes. I said, please, Lord, not that one. I've got some great stuff on, well, a whole load of things, but not this one. And I know God had put his finger on me a long time ago about some particular fears that he wanted me to, to address. And I felt, I, I, well, I knew that I couldn't stand here this morning without addressing some of those. In fact, Graham even tried to pull this date forward, and I had to say no because I haven't had a sozo yet, and I've not dealt with some of these fears, okay? So this is experience, raw and brutal, to, to, um, talking but something in my story so when I was about uh, 10 11 years old um, I'm one of six children and for reasons really good reasons um, my parents decided that I would not go to the same local Church of England school that all my siblings went to I was going to go to Borstal on the other side of the city it wasn't a Borstal it was felt like that to me but another big secondary modern comprehensive on the other side of the city So at that point, when I left school, left primary school, my whole circle of friends and acquaintances and everything I'd known really from the year dot got broken. It got got the chop. 
And I remember acutely well that sense of isolation and loneliness and being so deeply vulnerable. And for me, it was a, a, it was a really painful time. I hasten to add that my parents did it for the best of reasons. It's not that um, th- there's, no other, there's no big story there. But I remember that pain really well, and it, it, it sowed something in me that was really not helpful. And I'd been fearful of it for so long. It made me... Um, it made me behave in ways that I wasn't particularly pleased with in certain situations. And I knew God was prompting me to do something about it. So I booked a sozo. I was really scared. Really scared, which is so stupid, I know. And I turned up for this sozo, and do you know what? That got dealt with like that. It was so simple. The relief... It was like having a ginormous boil lanced. That's the only way I can describe it. Oh, the relief. But sometimes I get so cross with God. It's almost like... It's almost like he thinks, ha-ha. Put this in your pipe and smoke it. And he gets out a sniper rifle and gives you, gives you something else to chew on. What happened next, I wasn't prepared for at all. It wasn't even my thinking. But let me tell you this. This is what fears and anxieties do. They hide and mask the real issues that God wants to get to. Let me say that again. They hide and mask the real issues that God wants to deal with. Those things that stop you from being who God wants you to be. So I'm in this counseling session. And one of the things they do is they get you to imagine that you're stood in front of a number of doors, and these doors have names on them. And they ask you, as you're looking at this door, do you see it open or closed? So having just dealt with this one issue of my childhood school life thing, they again showed me this door, and they said, this is the door, and it has fear and anxiety written all over it. Is that door open or closed? And I wanted to say it's closed. But guess what? I saw it as clear as, clear as day. It was wide open. So again, they prayed for me. They said, Chris, we're just going to pray with you. I said, great, let's do it. And as they prayed for me, an instant came to mind. And as I say, it wasn't even on my thinking. But it's where the root of the thing lies, I believe. About the same time when I was about 11, 10, 11 years old, someone tried to abuse me sexually. And um, they, didn't, they didn't succeed. They didn't really succeed. Now, this person was the absolute person you should be able to trust. The person who had the, pretty much the highest social standing that you could imagine at the time. And he tried to abuse me. He didn't get very far. In fact, he didn't get far at all because my dad showed up. Praise God for dads. I'm so thankful. But I remember in those moments the deep fear and anxiety that that put within me. And so in this Sozo session, they took me through some, just some, um, you know, some forgiveness and um, just made some really helpful God statements over that whole situation. And again, ah, oh, the relief was just 
extraordinary. Something in me that day broke. I praise God for it. I really do. The tragedy in that whole story, though, is that for that individual who, who tried and didn't succeed with me, the tragedy of it was that a few weeks later he committed suicide. And I just think that is so sad. That was so sad. But I am so thankful, and the reason I share this with you, and I realize it's, you know, it's, it's, it's quite profound, it's quite painful in one sense. Because if God can do that with a misfit like me, what could he possibly do with you beautiful, shiny people? It's true. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. For my burden is easy, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And that's what God wants to do. And the glorious exchange is that he takes that mess that we haven't a hope of untangling it and exchanging it for joy. That's what he does. As I drove back from this sozo session, and God had spoken to me about this exchange of joy, as we're driving back, I passed this place, and it's got this huge sign out of the front, and it was called Jump for Joy. I do think God has a sense of humor sometimes. I'm just driving back thinking, yeah, Lord, that is such a great exchange, joy for all that mess. And then I'm, in, I'm confronted with this huge, like 10 foot by 4 foot sign that just says, jump for joy. For yeah, amen, Lord. Amen. So that's something of my story. That's, those, that's the three points. Remember those, please. Think on them. Talk on them. God says, fear not. Fear not. The second thing, fill your mind. Choose to fill your mind. And the third, get sozo. <laughs> Thank you. I'm done. You've been ace. Let's pray and um, let's just commit this to the Lord because we have a few minutes. We have a few minutes left. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you because you are so amazing. Lord, you offer us so many glorious exchanges. You want to take us, Lord, from what we were and transform us, Lord, into living testimonies of your goodness and your faithfulness. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you've been so patient with me. Lord, I am sorry that it took me so long to get to that point. And it's just, that's my own stupidity speaking. But Lord, that glorious exchange, I want to say thank you. And Lord, you offer that exchange this morning. You will take our mess. You will take our pain. You will take our anxieties. Take all those fears. You can, Lord, unscramble the scrambled egg of our lives. And Lord, we ask that you would do that this morning. Jesus, we bless you and we praise you and worship you. Amen.